0: You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. Lamont Stan Niles Jack Clark Harvey Balderston Harold Appleby Eugene Height, Jack Coulson Keith Harris Elliot Findley Glenn Sitter and Lawrence Hansen those are a few of my guests in this Saskapes episode recorded in Kindersley Saskatchewan i'm Kevin Power and when my host Bill Warrington said he'd get together a few guys for me to talk to at the museum he wasn't kidding "'Imagine if you will. We arranged to meet at 10 a.m., "'and like all good farmers, they were there much earlier, "'all gathered around a long rectangular table, "'enjoying coffee and doughnuts, and awaiting my arrival. "'Eugene Height met me at the door, and I was blown away "'when I saw all of those faces full of stories from the past. "'I ran laps around the table, trying to get to each guest as they spoke.' This is an hour out of a much longer conversation, and believe me when I tell you, we laughed a lot. If the podcast ends rather abruptly, it was because Bill, my host, had a full day's agenda for me and was anxious to whip me off to the country for another surprise guest and a tour of his family farm. You'll hear those conversations in upcoming episodes. But for now, here are some of the men who helped make history and whose stories deserve to be remembered. Today, I am in Kindersley, Saskatchewan, and I am standing in the Kindersley Museum. And I have about 15 guys, I haven't done a head count with me, who have all shown up earlier than I have. And um, thanks to Bill for getting everybody together for me. We're going to be talking to Bill later on. And I'm going to be wandering around the room and hopping all over the place so I can get some good sound. And first of all, we're going to go around the room and you can all introduce yourself, starting with you, sir. My name
1: is uh, Glenn Sitter. I'm probably the oldest resident of the town of Kindersley. There's a couple others around the table that are a little older than me, but were born on a farm near Kindersley. Uh, I'm a descendant of the one of the first two people to settle in, Ki- in Kindersley. No kidding. And I've been here all my life in business, et cetera.
0: Now, will, will it be rude if I ask you how old you
1: actually are? I'm, uh, geez, that's a good question. I'm, I'm 79. Wow, you, you're looking pretty good for
0: 79 As far as I'm concerned, 79 is still a young spring chicken. I was waiting for you to pop out some number like 95.
1: (laughs) Do (laughs) I look that bad? No,
0: not at all. Not at all. And next we have... My name is Ron Lamont. I came
2: to Kindersley in December the 15th, 1949. I was 19 years old. I was a telegraph operator for the CNR, and I retired in 1985. I'm still living in Kindersley.
0: Wow. No kidding. Thank you. And next we have...
3: Uh, Jack Clark. I was... We came to Kindersley in 1937. I was born out southwest of Kindersley. And uh, we moved here, as I said, in 1937. And been here ever since.
0: And do you farm here in Kindersley?
3: I did. I farmed northwest of Kindersley for 25 years. But I always... Lived in Kindersley.
0: Excellent.
4: And next we have... I'm Stan Niles. We moved to Kindersley in 1941 from Leross, Saskatchewan. And then next we have... <clears throat> Harvey Balderston. I was born in a mile
5: and a half north of Kindersley in 1922. I uh, lived here most of my life. I was in the Army for four and a half years, served overseas. And Jack of all trades since then. Where overseas did you serve? Oh, England and uh, France, Belgium, all, Germany.
0: You and my dad would have a lot to talk about. What service was he in? It's the number eight Canadian General Hospital, oh. which, w- which mm-hmm. was in, out of Dundurn. Oh, I
5: was an artillery
0: man. Oh, right. right. But he also served in, um, in London and in France and also in Normandy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could talk about some things. Absolutely. (laughs) I I wish you were here. And next we have
1: Uh, Eugene Haidt. I was born and raised in Trapping Lake, and I moved to Kindersley in 1961. How far is Trapping Lake from here? Uh, 60 miles north. It's a little north of Crawford.
0: And you moved to Kindersley for what purpose?
5: I run heavy equipment municipality here in Kindersley, and I've been here ever since. Right. And still, now I'm here at the museum. Oh, so you're actually working here at the museum? Yeah, I'm doing
1: volunteer work here, yeah.
0: So I'm gathering that the museum, like all the museums I've been to, are are run by a very dedicated group of volunteers.
1: We do. We have uh, probably 15 board members, yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah, we work pretty hard in this.
0: You've running. I know. You all do. You all care tremendously. Yeah. Every, every, each one of the people that I speak to care very, very much about Preserving the, the
6: history. Of we have
1: care. a lot of community support, yeah. Money and stuff like that. Got donations, to love the money. that's what keeps it running.
0: <laughs> Gotta <to> love the <laughs> money and the donations.
6: Excellent. Not everybody can say that. And next we have... <clears throat> I'm Harold Appleby from... I was born in initially on the 18th of March, 1925. And uh, farmed 20 miles southwest. And actually I took over the farm when I was 15 years old due to Wartime conditions, and I actively farmed for 65 years. I farmed and ranched out there. Now I've moved into town here, and uh, I think you should say I'm enjoying my retirement here. You are. Does it feel strange when you walk away from farming after it being your life? Well, the farm is still there, so I can always go back to it. And uh, Well, it's all leased out at the present time. Uh, the yard is still there, and I can go home and work in the shop. So right. Far. Was it uh, uh, how many generation farm had it been? Uh, I was third, uh, and uh, no, I was the second. Mm-hmm. Third one was my son Richard, who's all the, on the farm now. And uh, well, it's leased out. I hope it uh, is there for forever for right. the rest of the generations. Right,
0: excellent, thank you.
5: And then next, uh, my name is Jack Carlson, and I grew up on the farm. Two miles north of the village of Flaxcombe, which is about twenty-five miles west of here, and uh, I moved. To, we moved to kindersley in two thousand and nine to retire, but I still go back to the farm daily. Mm-hmm. Almost can't take the farm boy out of the farm. That's, huh? that's true. <laughs> that's true. Excellent. And then,
7: uh, Finley, originally from Dewar Lake. Mm. And I'd like to tell a little story of the you town. You certainly may. And in back about 1915, it was the biggest town and fastest growing west of Bigger on that rail line. Right. But
0: a school killed the town. Which, what killed the town? The school. The school killed the town. Yeah. Tell me why. Well, the town
7: people, the, the school two miles out of town, And the town people says we can't transport our kids to to the country. And uh, after, well, they had classes in the orange hall, and they they decided instead of paying for the orange hall, they build their own school. And they apparently are very abrupt about the situation, and said they get along without the country country got together and said, if they can get along without us, we can get along without them. And everybody boycotted. The bank and lumberyard went to Smiley. Some stuff went to Hoosier. And then the merchants there (laughs) weren't making any money. They moved out. And I think there's one man living there now.
0: Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link on the sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called sascapes plus you can't miss it there's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it i'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going But what do you think about the state of Kindersley today?
7: It's uh, progressing pretty good. I moved in here. I live in here now, and a lot of the work you see in this building here,
0: I've had a part uh, with that. So, a part as far as building, well, or maintaining uh, the
7: inside here. Those walls you see, I helped put them up. (laughs) Wow. And I'm still working on the museum here, and I think I'm the oldest man around that
0: hasn't retired yet. You haven't retired, and do you have any plans to retire?
7: Yeah, when they carry me out.
0: That's probably going to keep you very, very young. (coughs) Perhaps you'll make your coffin while you're here as well. (laughs) So you can say you did the job right to the end. Yeah. yeah. That might be a good idea, too. Right. right. Thanks. We'll get back to more of your stories, I promise. And then lastly, we have...
8: Uh, My name is Keith Harris, and I was born in 1931, March 21st at Yorkton, Saskatchewan. Okay. My dad and mom had a dairy farm, it milked between 20 and 25 cows every day, and delivered it into the co-op Creamery in Yorkton to, to, to get rid of the milk. Mm-hmm. I ended up going to the School of Agriculture and graduated from that in 1953, and then I started wandering around the country, and I ended up in Lloyd Minister, working for a, a trucking company called RE Line, which is still in operation today under different management. And he sent me down to Smiley in May the 24th of 1954. And in that fall, I got uh, applied for a job with Esso Petroleum's, and went to work for them for five years. And they gave me a tremendous uh, training in the oil field of how thing, different things worked and everything else. And it must have been my cup of tea, because I can remember everything was ever said or done. And I was uh, got married in 1958, and we moved to Kindersley, bought a trailer, moved into Kindersley. And I was driving out to work one day the, in 1959, and October, and I said, I think I'll start my own business, so I went in and told the foreman there that I was going to quit and give him two weeks' notice, and started my own business called Harry's Oil for Maintenance, which I thought I'd just have a small company, and I think, but I ended up pretty well doing everything that could be done, putting in flow lines, setting up equipment and everything else, and ended up with 10 or 15 men working for me and didn't end up being a little company. So uh, in 1992, I decided to shut her down, and uh, some of the employees who worked for me bought some of the equipment, and I had two sons that bought some of the equipment, and they're in business in Kindersley today.
0: What do you think of the gas prices today? (laughs) Oh,
8: well, uh, who thought we'd be paying $6
0: a gallon for gas? No kidding, huh? (laughs) Can you remember what the prices were way back when?
8: When I first started driving the car, there were about uh, $0.30 a gallon. And when I started working in the oil field, I could buy a 45-gallon drum of purple gas to, to burn in the oil field motors for $9.
0: No kidding. That's forty-five gallons. No kidding.
8: And we used lots of it because they had no all uh, engines in the oil field were gas, and they were running natural gas. But they some wells that run on natural gas, so we had a barrel of gas that we carried around the back of the pickups, and so we could switch it over to wet gas to run the wet gas. Right. Contract operating, I ended up with about forty-five to fifty wells. And they were spread all the way from South of Smiley to Plenty. So that's a big thing. So we traveled a lot of miles. Right. Now we've had somebody
0: come in since uh, we started talking, so I'm going to run back down to the end of the table. Good morning. Good morning. And you are? Lawrence Hansen. Lawrence. And how long have you lived in Kindersley?
9: Well, I lived in Brock, farmed at Brock for years, Mm -hmm. all my life, and then... Last six years or so, I've been in here.
0: Right. So you Move were born in Saskatchewan. You yeah, were born in Brock. In
9: Brock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Around what year?
0: 1930.
9: 1930.
0: That was a tough decade to be born
9: in. You, you got that right. <laughs> I,
0: of course, I wasn't there myself, but I understand it was a very difficult time. What What was the hardest part of of being born and spending those first few years of your life going through the depression?
9: Well, as a guy a kid then, so I didn't find it that hard, really.
0: Right. You did, well, one of the things that some of the farmers have said to me is that they didn't, you didn't know anything else. So, so for you, you felt like you had everything.
9: That's true. Yeah. Do you the think? Forties, you can remember more. You can remember more in the forties. In the forties. Like forty-two is a good crop.
0: What what crop did you? What were you growing primarily?
9: Mostly wheat. Uh huh. Wheat, and oats.
0: Right. It's difficult. Um, it's difficult today when you've uh, when you're dealing in crops like wheat and and oats. Uh, the competition. Oh, it's a lot different today. Yeah. yeah. Was it was it plentiful then? Was it a really good business to be in?
9: Well, it didn't seem as I think it was. Yeah.
0: Right. It's a tough life growing up on the farm, huh?
9: the shovel weed with the bushel, the scoop way.
0: Right. Do you think? Do you think kids nowadays could manage that kind of life?
9: I'd be pretty tough on them.
0: Yeah. You have to be really resilient. That's right. You're dependent on Mother Nature.
9: Dad come down this country when he was fourteen years old and start farming. How many kids would do that now?
0: Right. Where? You no kidding? Where'd your dad come from? Minnesota. Oh right, right. Was he? He probably grew up on a farm in Minnesota.
9: Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah.
0: right. Excellent. Um, who else can share with me a little bit about growing up on the farm? Oh, well, oh, we have somebody else come here. <laughs> the table keeps growing. So now I, sorry, now I get to come to you. You are Rodney Tibb. Rodney, and uh, are you originally from Kindersley?
10: No, originally from the east side of the province. From the east side, how far east? Uh, Right on the Manitoba border. All right, in a small town. March, well, yeah. Right. And when did you come to Kindersley? 1980. 1980. What brought you here? I was working for the Western producer, selling insurance. Right. They just started into the insurance, and they wanted me to come out and take over this territory.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And and you've stayed here
10: ever since? Yeah. I had 25 good years with the producer, and... And i done a few other things. They quit doing that. Right. And uh, so now I'm retired here at Kindersley. Are you involved with the museum? A bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. I volunteer some. Right. I'm on the board just as of January.
0: Right. What do you all do for fun in Kindersley when you're, now that you're retired?
10: For fun? Mm. I don't know. What do retirees do for fun? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. You, what's that? <laughs> Go to Coffee roll and. <laughs> Just visit, and right. that's why I like coming out here right. and uh, just putting in time and seeing guys come around and visit and, right. yeah. Hang out
0: at the local coffee shops. Yep. Right, talk about the good old days. Yep. Um, are there any interesting folks uh, in Kindersley that you can recall?
1: Well, probably Stan. Uh, uh, Stan? Stan, you're laughing, so that must mean somebody comes to mind.
0: Tell me about some of the colorful folks you can...
4: Oh, there was uh, all kinds of names back <laughs> in the early days. Yeah, can yeah. you remember a few of them? Uh, no, I don't think I want to repeat too many of them. Oh no no!
0: <laughs> oh, those kinds of names. I was thinking more about well, who are some of the who are some of the more colorful folk that lived in the community um, um, that that you remember?
4: Oh, Jack here.
3: <laughs> jack was one of the top athletes. What
0: makes Jack... T- you were one of the top what?
4: Athletes in the Were you? What was your sport, Jack? Everything.
3: I was a jack of all trades and master of none. Right.
4: <laughs> yeah. But an athlete, you said. Yeah, good golfer. Uh, you good golfer. Baseball, hockey,
3: we used to, you name it. We used to have an old fella. His name was Adam Straw. Oh, yeah. Back be. in the wintertime, he... Walked around with no shirt all winter, just covered with hair, you know. He was something else.
0: Any reason why he would do that?
3: I don't know. Did somebody give him the
4: shirt off his back?
3: (laughs) Just like people today.
4: He ran the park for the CN, and he had a beautiful park, but they eventually wrecked the whole thing. But, yeah. but it
0: occurs to me it's not exactly tropical weather in the winters in Saskatchewan. How do you, was he not worried about frostbite walking mm-hmm. around? I mean, did he literally walk
4: around with no shirt on he in had, the dead of winter? Yeah, he, he had hair about that long one.
0: So he basically and, was born with his own fur coat. Leather jacket. In
6: 1937, he drove 10 miles west of here and met my dad. And my dad, they were absolutely year when the. Political candidates went to all the schools and spoke and one thing or other, And he drove the CCF candidate out 10 miles. Dad met them, and I had had an accident with my elbow. And I, so I went that far and came in with Adam Straub. I was all bundled up, and to say he had a shirt on, but it was open like this and no gloves. And he drove out 10 miles, and it was a darn cold day.
0: Wow, strong constitution. And, and and a weak, huge. Weak in the
6: head, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> but he must
0: have thought a lot about his physique, or maybe he just didn't care. Then.
6: He came from Ontario, didn't
0: he? <laughs> he came I from Ontario. Well, they're no stranger to winter there either. Um, who was it that grew up on the uh, working for the railway? It
2: was me. you. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about what that was like. When I came to Kindersley in 1949, there were possibly two thousand people in town pretty well all railroaders, Mm -hmm. Uh, all the farmers lived on the farm. Uh, Other than the businessmen in town, there were not too many other residents that weren't on the railway in some way or other. I guess there were pretty close to 100 employees on the payroll in Kindersley when I came. They had, uh, the steam engines were still running then. We had passenger trains daily both ways, from Calgary to Saskatoon. We had dining cars, we had uh, sleeping cars, and everything came by rail. Right. I'm about the last of the telegraph operators. We worked with Morse code, and uh, all the communications were by dots and dashes. Right. And uh, there's not many of us left now. We had 24-hour service here on the railway, Christmas, holidays, we worked them because the passenger trains were very necessary for the public. And uh, the town had, uh, the railway was very big then. They had a terminal here where we had uh, shops. uh, Steam engines were looked after there. They had uh, machinists, boiler makers. They could lay anything for the engines, And... uh, In the station, we were very, very busy. Everything was very few telephones in those days, so everything came through Morse code, and it was
0: relayed to the smaller places in the area. So you couldn't get information or news uh, at the drop of a hat like we can today? Oh, no. Uh,
2: The reporters would come from Toronto and Montreal for any big event in Saskatchewan, and they'd come in with what they called press and... uh, they would bring it in to us in the office, and sometimes you'd get sheets that deep. Of, and you'd uh, have to send it all out by code? It all went by code. They'd cut us right through to an operator in Toronto or or uh, Montreal or wherever, and uh, we would just sit for hours and send this, and this was the go into the paper next day.
0: And then somebody at the other end had to translate it all. Oh, yes, they were translating it and, and writing it for the papers, yeah. I would imagine you were also basically the 911 of the day as far as sending out. Oh, definitely.
2: There was everything. When my father was a a station agent, and during the war, I was still younger than... I was about 14, 15 when it was over, but whenever anybody got injured or uh, killed overseas, it all came through the station agent, and then you went... My dad would go to... uh, the family and break the news, they'd take the minister if possible. But uh, this was the only way communications got to people in those days.
0: Right. What sort of emergency uh, messages would you have to send out? Would it be weather-related or were there injuries? uh, Well, everything. There wasn't
2: any communications. We had a central office here in, in 1949. There was about 10 or 12 girls working there, but they just... It was local, mostly, and you Mm -hmm. just plugged from one to the other, but all the grain samples that came from the elevators were sent in, and then uh, the samples came back in code words to uh, the elevators, so they knew what the samples were, and we handled all the communications in those days.
0: All right. Did you know Morse code in advance? Did you... Had had you been taught it, or did, was that something you learned? My father on? was a station agent, and oh, right, I grew up with it. So, right, right. when
2: I was nineteen, I wrote my grade twelve, and then I went in and took my tests, and I started relieving station agents. Then. and and right. uh, when I came here, I was I'd been in a number of uh, stations relieving all over Manitoba and Saskatchewan, but when I came here, I stayed. <laughs> right, I was quite happy with it, and. So I retired here.
0: I couldn't help but notice that you have a cell phone in your pocket. Would you have imagined back then that you'd be able to whip out a phone anywhere in the world and make a phone call?
6: It was
2: very difficult for operating trains in those days, too, because you didn't have any communications, only hand signals and uh, vision, and uh, there was an awful lot of bad weather in those days. Everything was done by either whistles off the engine or hand communications. So we had, when a train would come to Kindersley, they'd have to stop out here, and we had a little crank phone that they could find out where to go, but now
0: it's so simple. Was that dangerous when you had to do everything manually like that, especially at night? Well, we had
2: to be careful. We had lots of rules, and uh, we had all the signals right beside us in our office, even we we had to have flares and... uh, torpedoes to stop the trains if we put them on the track when the train would be delayed out on the track they'd have to send a a brakeman back so many hundred yards and they would put uh on the rails and use uh hand fusees and things flares to stop the trains behind because that was the only communication you had with your site right right Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, when when small towns started to lose their railway stations, that often started the decline of of small town population. I mean, people oh. moved out when the railways closed down. Very much so. Yes, and and so that must have been. I mean, were you? Did you have a strong drive or mission to keep the railways open in as many small towns as Saskatchewan, or did you have a say in the matter? I mean, was it just the We times? didn't
2: have a say in the matter. Yeah. It was uh, sad to see these things happen, but right. uh, you couldn't stop progress, I guess they called it. But right. Once the station was the main center of all communications, and uh, every night and morning when the passenger trains would come in, they'd fill a waiting room in the station with the public because everything came in the mail came in and mr chisholm would push the mail card up the street at four o'clock in the morning and there were uh mailmen on the actually on the cars in the train and you dropped your mail in and next morning it was sorted and in calgary at eight o'clock in the morning and delivered better service than we have now
0: <laughs> you remember the price of a stamp back then three
4: cents
0: yeah I three guess. cents yeah
5: three cents i not remember one
0: yeah, you can. Eh? Postcards. Yeah. One cent for a postcard? Yeah. And, of course, it took more than overnight to get these. Little, now, now we can get news and, and emails in an instant. Yes. You had to be really patient back then. And everything in the area, us being a terminal here,
2: the Morse code all came to us, and then all the small towns, there was a station agent in almost every town from Saskatoon to Calgary in those days. And we would copy the messages and then relay them to the smaller towns as, as the agents were available. So we were on 24 hours a day. Then they got the 40-hour in here, and uh, it made it pretty nice. When I came here, I worked evenings and uh, had Wednesday afternoon off, and the town closed then. So <laughs> I'd usually jump on a passenger train, and we could ride for nothing and go into Saskatoon
0: or Calgary. But it was uh, quite different. Right? Do, do you still remember all your Morse code? Oh yes. <laughs> is there an opportunity to use Morse code still today? I mean, is there more? We there have Morse
2: code we have a club, a North American club, and we yeah. also have a club in Saskatoon where we're all Morse men, and mm-hmm. uh, we in Saskatoon at the Western Development Museum. A lot of my buddies actually send messages in there for the public. I don't know whether you've been in the museum there. Or not. I have, but it's been a when while. When you since come there. in the door. Uh, They set up, and they have an operator up in the old station that they have there, and then they uh, let them file a message at you at the door, and then they send it, Morse code up to the voice. Yeah. Do you still have a Morse code uh, machine yourself? Oh, yeah. I've got my dad's. My dad was uh, an operator in 1924. He was in Ontario, and uh, in the early days, the... uh, had the what they call the grain rush in the west so uh, they would uh, the boys would come out and work as telegraph operators to move the trains when there was a lot of grain moving and they'd go back and work in the Detroit in the uh, automobile factories there and after 1924 he had a couple of his buddies they were coming quite regularly and then the railway had enough telegraph operators they asked them if They said they either had to decide to stay or go back, and so he stayed with a couple of his buddies. And I lived in the station; I was born in the station, and lived in them
0: all my life. Right. Everybody basically stayed around here. Uh, Is is that the case? I mean, when you grew up in small town Saskatchewan, is that is that basically what you love the most? I mean, would it drive you crazy to have to move into a big city like Saskatoon or Regina? I mean, would that just be? What's that? It would me. It would Even you. Come to season, this is yeah. this is yeah. Bill, who we're going to yeah. hear more from later. Why would it drive you crazy? Well,
11: to... oh, it's the, just the traffic and all of right. the and all of the the demands that put on you just to get from A to B.
0: Right. Is there such a thing as gridlock in Kindersley? You've got a four-way stop out there. I've been on that. Well, <laughs> <laughs>
11: you no, know, I mean, this 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 is believe it or not, Kindersley's almost like a city if it isn't, right. because it's Right. got most of the things here, and yeah. and um, you get. Thing that was really amazing me. My dad always talked about Pearl Harbor. Now, Pearl Harbor was a, it, to get that message across the country or the continent yeah. must have come through the Morse code. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That was the because,
2: only communications they had.
11: Well, you know, like dad had a dad had one of those old radios. I think there's one up here somewhere. Uh-huh. And he used to Press he
10: radio?
11: no it, no no. It was just an a old radio, radio, and he yeah. used to sit there at night and listen to that thing. Amos and Andy and all those kind of right. things you know like like I as uh, kids nowadays like yeah. and I call myself a kid and yeah. I'm 72 yeah yeah you know like I was talking to my wife the other day and I was sitting on a hill down there east east of Kennes or west of Keniston on the on my cell phone well if you'd have been on a saddle horse and your wife was over in Laverna you'd have been three or four days before you could talk right, to
0: her no kidding. maybe
11: longer right right that's that's how it's it's amazing the technology it's just changed everything. For the good or
0: for... Are there any aspects of technology in any of your estimations that really have been the the downfall of 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 who we are? I mean, they, it's made us very lazy, that's for sure. I mean, you don't...
11: Well, perfect example is I had mm. an old Uncle Ken Warrington, and he was born in South Dakota. But I asked him one time, of all the things that have happened, I said, what was the thing that made the life the best for you and he says the inflatable tire now right. when you think about riding around an old wagoner on the sleigh in the, wow. in the middle of the winter when the ground's frozen inflatable tire was a marvelous thing right same thing with the automobile it the automobile has been a great invention and some people take advantage of that and do bad things with it right it's almost the same as with the new technology I mean it, the internet I mean yeah. it's, it's a great thing but there's people that are taking advantage of it and doing bad things. Right? Sure.
0: Could you do that with Morse code? I mean, could you... Were there people that were unscrupulous that would send out false messages via Morse code?
2: Mm, in those days, I don't think too much. No. Uh, everything went through. Like, even when you wanted to transfer money, the banks transferred all their money by codes, by right. the Morse mm-hmm. code. Right. So, the whole communications and even up until the 50s it was Drew Morse code.
0: Right. When did ham radio start to become big around here? Or did it ever?
2: We had the odd ham operator over the years, but uh, it right. was never like the Morse quote. Right. Had, you know, the, one, the, one the,
1: man, the, man in town that was really into uh, uh, ham radio, and that was uh, Drew. Jack Drew. Jack Drew. Mm-hmm. His whole house was full of am radios and he contacted with, with everybody around around the world. So Right,
0: right, yeah, you can do
11: mm-hmm.
1: that. was the only one I remember that was really, really into ham radios.
11: I was I was gonna give you an example. My mother yeah. my mother just passed away here a month ago, but her and all of Sunmar, they could look out the kitchen window and see each other's yard. And when and when they wanted to phone somebody, they had she had to first of all get the central in Laverna to get in on get in on the phone, and he could only phone at certain hours. And then he had the central in and Laverna had to phone Kinnersley, I believe it was. And then they would get to the Marengo phone central, and then they then they could talk. And now you know she couldn't believe it when they would just pick up the phone and dial so many num punch so many numbers. I could talk to all of Sunmark. right? Like. For sixty years they could they couldn 't do that
0: right. who remembers when the first phone booth got put in kindersley <laughs> the first public phone
11: Jeez.
2: in forty nine we had possibly a dozen telephone operators at the telephone office that would relay the phones in the local area, but mm. there was very little long distance. it was all more school
1: right, but at that time, even in in kindersley i don 't think there was any uh, Outside booths where you could walk up no, and not and, uh, and make a, make a phone call. I don't remember when they come, but the yeah. back then there was no uh, there wasn't any that I remember.
0: Where where were the hangouts long before you had television and you were hanging around the radios listening to Amos and Andy? Where were the popular watering holes and hangouts?
2: Well, there was a poker den above Rivers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a poker den, yeah. <laughs> Was this in, uh legit? Or well, it up?
2: almost <laughs> sounded like it was. It right. operated daily and on into the nights. I uh, we had a taxi here in 1952, and it was a pretty busy spot up at the poker
1: den. They all, had a piano up there, and, and there was also a poker den in the back of wooden's pool wooden wooden room. pool room too. Yeah.
2: They were almost side by
1: side. But yeah.
2: people would come in from the farm and get a room in the Seymour Hotel and stay for two or three days and. Drink and gamble and But that would
0: have been none of you guys. no <laughs> these were all the uh, these were all the other guys. Yeah.
11: Yeah.
0: Who, can, who can tell me a bit about what it was like growing up around here before television when all you had was the entertainment of the radio? What was that like?
1: Well, the only entertainment you had was what you made, and that was street hockey
0: street
4: hockey
1: or uh, yeah. in the summertime swim and pool in the wintertime the skating rink. right That was it?
8: They had dances in every from near every hall in the country. Every little town. So you'd go to probably three dances a uh
1: a, a week if you wanted to. Right. With no problem. Madison and Ontario, Yeah, were the two best the best mm-hmm. ones before, before.
0: So what would have been the style of music you'd all be dancing to back then?
1: Mm-hmm. Well you oh. didn't go there to dance, you went there to Go to your car and have a drink. Did some people dance at them? That? Right. Uh, well, what, was yeah,
0: that's before they had liquor and, and they <laughs> right, it in the hall. Right. So then we get on to the topic of bootlegging.
8: <laughs> well, there'd be a little bit of that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: but not in these parts, and certainly by oh, none of you guys oh, around the that. table. <laughs> not by any of you guys around the table.
8: Well, no. nobody
11: wants to admit it, but they were really were going there because there was girls around. Right. That that was was, the big problem. That's right. Yeah. Right. But But what about the law?
0: What about the law enforcement in the town that I grew up with, the legends that I hear about bootleggers? Even the law was in on it.
1: Oh, they had a a good
8: system there. If they caught you with a bottle of booze and you thought that you were fined 25 bucks, maybe.
6: Right. Which is a lot of money. If you
8: drank it all, it was okay. As long as it was inside you, you could get away with anything. So you could drink it (laughs) on the way if you're going to a dance and get rid of the bottle, and the police would stop and ask you, if you got any booze in, we'd say, no, nope, we drank it all
1: <laughs> before we got there. At most, of the, And that's why they were good dancers, because uh, <laughs> yeah. very seldom was there ever <laughs> any law enforcement out at the dances, like no. at <laughs> Madison right, and yeah. Ontario. Yeah. Well, pre- pretty well, unless it yeah. was some uh, problem.
0: Uh, yeah, but this would have been then before drinking and driving laws were in place. Oh, were there? Yeah. Oh. Were there not any horrific accidents?
1: Yeah, I don't think I don't, I don't think, uh, think any more than there is nowadays. I don't. Is that think. right? Likely well, be less right. because nowadays well, it's so much speed. Right. Well, know, really? oh, back uh, in the fifties, cars could go pretty uh, yeah. fast yeah. enough to kill you too. <laughs> First <laughs> car accident. Was a oh, I like really cool. cool. <laughs> <Yeah, that> was really <laughs>
9: old.
0: Who remembers what it was like before a car? Who who um, can tell me a bit about what it was like growing on the farm before you had a car? Before you had a car, what was that like?
7: Horse and buggy, horse and buggy? Yeah. And it was ten miles north of Flaxcombe. Right. And about yeah. once a year we get down there. <laughs> it's right. an hour drive each way.
0: Right. So what was it like when you got your first car? Did you feel like well,
7: uh, it might have shrunk down a little bit, it was an old car, so it didn't go far
0: right, oh, right, right, but still, it must have felt a little more freeing than horse and buggy. Oh, yeah, you must have felt like you'd go just about anywhere, even though it
7: was I've got to figure one day there that uh, that team I was driving made close to a thousand miles for the year,
0: right, right, <laughs> who grew up with radio only? Um, what were the What were the radio shows that you'd
6: listen to growing up? Well, Amos Andy, Muffer, and Superman. <laughs> <What> <laughs> radio theaters During the day? war, we yeah. were able to turn the radio on only to
2: get the news in the evenings about what was going on in the war. and We were using batteries. Yeah, because
1: the battery was always yeah. dead. The yeah. battery was always dead. Oh, so you yeah, didn't hear a lot part. of radio.
2: And yeah. then that, right. years later, it was different.
1: Yeah. Used to put right. the battery in the oven to keep yeah. it warm so that you could. Wa- Listen to the news yeah at night.
0: That would keep it warm yeah. during the day? Yeah. And w- and when the battery flatlined and you had to recharge, what would you do? You you
2: put a new it back one? in the oven. <laughs>
1: <laughs> really? There was no chargers for it.
2: The railway had special batteries that uh they were made with zinc and uh water and they were in the glass jars and that was the way we got the power for the Morse coat. Right. Each station had their own. And uh uh you had to put the zinc, you set it in on over the side, and then they uh, poured the water in and just built up your juice
0: to actually run the Morse code. So you could, yeah. Are any of you guys old enough to have lived without electricity? No. Oh. Yes? <laughs> yes, no. Yeah. all of us. <laughs> well, so, see, there's, there's the naive young part of me talking. So what was life like around well, here in the middle of a farm without electricity?
8: In a lot of cases, I went to bed. A lot earlier, so there was a lot more family, and the families were bigger
0: than what they are now. No
11: birth control, (laughs) (laughs) because.
0: But wasn't that the rule of thumb anyway? Early to bed, early to rise, makes you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Yeah, I mean, wasn't that the life of the farmer anyway?
8: I never told that. My dad used to say it all the time. So I'd say, no, no, that's not right, Dad. What is it? Early to bed and early to rise, and the girls goes out with the other guys.
0: Well, you'd all have been just coming home by then anyway. (laughs) My
9: father,
7: he always figured you start work (coughs) at daybreak. Yeah. And when it gets too dark to work anymore, go to bed. Right. And uh, in pioneer days, (coughs) you turned your oxen loose at night, no fences or anything, and they'd get up at daybreak, feed, and then usually lay down in a low spot. Right. And Dad said there was uh, so many people were still hunting for their oxen come dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> so get up and uh,
0: put them to work, give them a long noon hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what was rationed um, during, during the Depression, during the wartime? What were the foods that were rationed around here? Sugar, Sugar R, R, yeah.
1: Tea. Right. Tea, Did gasoline. they have a flour mill? Gas- a gasoline, <laughs> rubber tires.
4: <laughs> yeah. Meat.
0: Right. What about a flour mill? Did they have a flour mill here in Kindersley?
4: Yeah. In the early days, I think. It was. Eh? In the early it burned down in 1940.
0: It burnt down in 1940? Were there some pretty ferocious fires that burned down some fairly historical buildings in Kindersley? Yeah,
2: and motel. Motel. The Our old hospital.
0: Your old hospital? And were there people that perished in those fires?
2: No, I was working the night that Cannes Motel burned down.
0: Right. We actually ran over and got the people out of the buildings there. Did and you have volunteer fire departments at that time?
4: Yeah.
0: Still, Still do. do. Yeah. Still do? Yeah. Any of you guys serve on the volunteer fire departments? Okay, so you didn't play any musical instruments. You didn't, you didn't volunteer in the fire departments. You certainly were not involved in bootlegging.
1: Well, like Bill said, we were looking for girls all the time. Right, right.
0: Did anybody marry locally? Any of you guys meet one of those gals that you were out on the town looking for? Yes, you did? <laughs> yes. You married a local gal?
7: Yeah, 12 miles apart. Right. That's not local, was it then? We met at the halfway <laughs> in between there at the Smiley Sports. Oh. No, no. <laughs> <coughs> the dancer server that night. Where was she from? Driver. Driver. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be about halfway. She the like Mildermores?
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I married a local girl with 12 miles is local. That
0: would have been local. It's local as, uh, certainly as local that they didn't know you out there, right? Yeah. You hadn't already worn out your welcome, well, so the she, prospects were she good.
9: she come
1: to, uh, come to town and saw the fancy car I was driving and was, <laughs> oh, that, that's what happened to and me. I, I had to go along with the car, so. And I, what was that fancy
0: car you were driving?
1: 1956 Crown Victoria. Oh, all right. Yeah you wouldn't get a girl
2: without a car.
1: Right.
0: Was Morse code not sexy enough to get a to get a girl? We had a
1: lot
2: of contact with the telephone office. <laughs> yeah. 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 Telephone yeah, there office. was a lot of good
1: girls in the telephone office. You know we
11: called them <laughs> call girls. Yeah. Oh, right. Right. There a different a kind girl. of call girl, though. There was a fellow that used to work out here, and he claims to he married a call girl. He worked in the telephone
0: office. <laughs> right, right. And so... Um, who of you that have grown up on the farm have kept the farm in your family? There's three of you, and how do you make that decision? To do, uh, what's it like when your kids don't want to continue farming? Um your heart. is that disheartening? It does. It breaks your
6: heart. It did for you. Most 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 of the young people now are going to the whale patch because. Uh, you can't make that kind of money on a farm, and uh, right. it's wrecking, wrecking our community. Right.
0: Wow, so it is heartbreaking when your kids say, I don't want to do this, especially when the farm's been in your family for the longest time. Who, since
11: 1909.
0: Since 1909. So do you reckon yours is the farm that stayed in the family the longest around here?
11: Well, I don't know guess.
0: Since 1909.
11: We celebrated it here just yeah, a couple of years ago. Right. Well,
0: you will, yeah, I'll get to see that this afternoon. Um, weather patterns seem strange now, but what about back then growing up on a farm? Were there some pretty ferocious storms that, that came through here that decimated the town?
7: You were safer in a storm then than you are now.
0: Why's that? Horse knew his way home. Right, right. The horse knew his way home.
11: You know, you know, actually, actually, when you think about it, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why this country here wasn't settled till the trains come through was because it wasn't really a good place to be. In the summertime, if there was a prairie fire, the only protection you had was to start another fire so you could get on the black spot. And in the wintertime, when there was bad storms, you didn't want to be out here because there was no protection. When the, and about every 10 years, this whole country would burn off because of a prairie fire. There was no little sloughs with trees around them and stuff like there is now. Like the old fellow, the yard that I live in, that's what Bill Goldenbrook told me. He said, when there was no trees around it. No. And uh, when, he come here, he come, when he come here, he come to this town here. And then he went and walked out to Teal Lake somewhere. And there was a fellow by the name of Mr. Moulton. And he wrote, he took him in a, in a buggy over to where he well, I'm going to take you to the yard today. But... You know, like when you think about how slow and how, how things were, it just blows your mind. Right. One of the biggest things that I think about is the guys that come out here and squared this country off into sections and quarters. Like those guys come out here and they must have done a pile of walking and sleeping in tents and uh, like, and I don't even know how they got their food out here. They must have lived off the land. But, you know, it wasn't like they would be now you were to come out if you if there was nothing out here and you wanted to square this country up now you'd come out here with a helicopter or something or you'd come right. out here with a with a bunch of quads and you'd skip off back to Saskatoon for beer in the night right but out there when you you were stuck out here right it was a big job
0: did anybody grow up on farms that um, were really flattened by some of the
5: storms 1952 the road was blocked with snow
6: 56, 56, yeah. the highway was gravel 56, 56, 56, 56, 56, 56, 56. then right
5: all those cuts blew in Right, so from Plaskom, we got about ten of us in the back of a truck with shovels and went to each cut, shoveled it out, till we got down to Huey Torrens's and Huey had went taken the plow and plowed it all the rest of the way to Kindersley. But that, that took us about three days to to get access know, to the. Huey and Will Adams, they both had plows.
1: Yep. Well, there's, yeah, yeah. there's pictures here at the museum of the trains down in the snow, like a, a locomotive. Yeah. So the so the snow is higher than the top, the top of the locomotive. We right. had a passenger train stuck
2: where the Pioneer elevator is now, sat for two days, and uh, with the steam engines, if you ran out of coal and water, you had to...
0: What you do out. with all the passengers?
2: Passengers, it, we were in Kindersley, that train, but I can remember one out at Oyen where uh, they had... Lot of people on, and everybody got in. They had little coal stoves in uh, some of the uh, baggage carts, yeah. And they had lots of bread and lots of milk and lots of eggs. How and, would they
5: uh, keep those trains supplied with water? Like if they
2: they had water tanks every so far, but uh, they did shovel Coal and water were very important, yeah. They did shovel snow. I know in some of the plows that were stuck, they hadn't pailed it up. They get a, a box car with coal beside the engine and, or the In Kindersley, we were isolated from everywhere. And the floods came and actually washed the tracks out between Kindersley and Beadle and uh, they were, no one moved. In 1950, when they had all the storms, everything was heated by coal here, so we'd have thousands of carloads of coal from out of the mines, and they all came
1: through on the railway. Right. Forty-ton cars. The track was originally supposed to go... Four miles north here, and that's where a lot of our first settlers uh, established businesses and houses. And then the railroad decided to come down here because of the Motherwell uh, Mother Ravine, or what we call the Motherwell Dam now, which is the dam itself, and because of the water.
0: Right. Speaking of coal, um, try to connect the dots here. What was it like growing up on a farm in the dead of winter at Christmas time? Um, was there time when all you had was coal in your stocking? Mm-hmm. I mean, it must have been pretty. It must <laughs> oh, have been pretty rough. <laughs> the
11: there, there, what's there. that? Well, you put it in the furnace. There's, the, the, yeah, I right. Lived, I lived in a house where there was no power, or no, no. All well, we just had a coal furnace in the basement. And right. Dad, You'd get up in the morning and you'd grab your clothes that were in your bed with you, and you'd run down by the cook stove because that's how that dad would be up early and he'd have the cook stove going. Right. And that was the only room room. It was warm. Right. All the railway stations were that way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, what would a typical Christmas morning be like growing up on the farm? I mean, in the dead of winter, there's probably not a whole lot to do on the farm, right? What'd you do with yourself during the winter?
3: Oh,
11: I mean, you're <laughs> busy uh, shoveling <laughs> snow
7: and doing chores. <laughs> right. We did chores. Right. Milked the cows and fed the
11: pigs and cleaned the chicken house and that was it. Right. You, so know, you, you know, you know what what when I was a kid, the only time I ever come to Kennersley was because I either had a toothache or I was sick. Right. So you weren't really Kennersley was not a place that excited me. Right. Now I can be in Kennersley sometimes two or three times a day. And right. on them times maybe two or three times a winter, maybe. Maybe never. I mean, you guys. I'm, I'm going to shut up here because I sit.
0: But, I mean, you guys hit the ground running every morning as kids. You'd get out of bed and chores would start right away. Listen, one of the things that I've noticed that people are always telling me wherever I go is in the local coffee shop, the guys sit on one side and the girls sit on the other side. Is this true? Oh,
11: yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, can
0: somebody please explain to me why that happens? Because
11: they're tired of talking to us. <laughs> the,
0: the wives are tired of talking to you. Well, you know, when
8: they used to go to dances, the girls would all sit along the hall. Right? Yeah. And the men would either stand up on that, and they'd pick out who they are going to go to dance with. Right. So that's where most of them met, and right. most of them got married because of that. That's where Just they met. the, it, same, the same
1: with hall. the beer parlors. At one time, there was no beer, par- women couldn't come in the beer parlors, and then after that, for a long time, uh, they were in their own room. You yeah. know, like it was divided. They couldn't mix the up- but so it had, just kind of carried a, over to the coffin,
0: Right. <laughs> Eugene, you're being so quiet. Did you grow up in a big family? Uh, I'm the oldest of seven, yeah. Right, the oldest of seven. seven. Yeah. My dad, did his, he, he had 16 and his brothers and sisters. Right. Who had huge families in, in your father's side of the family? So you had yeah. 11, yeah. 16. Anybody top 16? That's that, a lot. Yeah, uh, my dad had 16, yeah. Anybody into woodworking? Any whittlers? Yeah. Yes, you were into woodworking?
9: Yeah, I was.
0: What What were you, tell me a little bit about your woodworking. Did you do that as a hobby or was that part of part of your profession? Part of living. Part of living. Yeah. And what would you do?
9: Well, I used to build houses. Right. Then when we got two strangers, and I started on cabinets. On cabinets? It was all lathe work.
0: Uh, lathe work, right. Yeah. Right. And that was pretty important to the town, huh? I mean, you... You you were largely responsible for building this town.
3: Well,
0: pardon. Me. You're under you're underestimating yourself. Nobody yeah. here had some artistic hobby, some kind of a, a craft that you were involved in or used to what? Yeah. Spool knit. Yeah. Now you say this you say this yeah.
4: I what? think everybody did that one time. Tell I'm me about thinking. spool knitting. Yeah, I had well, a wooden uh, spool yeah. the a thread come on, and you yeah. put four little nails in and you could spoon it. Right. And, so, had and, it it would, tag, and right. you had ne- a long tag, uh, and then you could put them together make a rug.
0: Did you guys seriously do that?
4: Oh, yeah, sure. everybody, I everybody did it at school. Yeah, <laughs> you did it at school.
0: You did it at school. What other things... Did they teach at school that they don't teach now? Not nearly. That you were doing? Not (laughs) native. Did did, did any of you guys?
1: Constructive things at at school and and shop. We built, in 11 and 12, we built three houses the principal's house and two uh, teachers' houses, complete houses right from ground up.
0: Is that right? That they lived in? Yep. Wow, they put a lot of trust in you as uh, you were school kids doing that.
1: Yep. So they were supervising. Oh yeah, there was a there was supervision, right? Uh, but the houses are still in town. They were moved off of where they were built, and they're still in town and still being being used. Although one fell apart when we tried to move it, but right. <laughs> in later years I get the task of mo- of moving it, and the floor fell out of it. They,
0: they, they—you must have—you had had to be pretty brave to be able to want to live, willing to live in a house that was built by students just learning how to build houses.
11: Well, heck, there was Elliot over here. He talks about they tore a house down, moved it about fifteen miles, and put it back up again.
0: You did? Yeah.
11: And uh, that was
7: the winter's project.
0: You take the whole. How much of the house would you take down? Every piece. Every piece. And saved every. Thing and
7: I was twelve year old yep. and I hauled that fifteen miles with team and wagon and not I, the whole thing.
0: Each of you took a piece.
7: Oh. Well, well, uh, take it by the wagon load. Take it, well, make a trip that day. Get right. home just at dark. Yeah. Next day unload that. Grease the wagon, do chores, and go back to the next day. Now,
0: why would you be moving these houses in the first place?
7: Well, we had to have some place to live. Oh, oh, okay, right. I'm only number four out of ten. Right, and you don't live in the little homestead, shack that long.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. I
11: mean that was that was part of the deal. Was there was. They didn't have no money. Right. Like, I know of another guy over at my place that it tore an old hip-root barn down, moved it five miles, and put it back together.
4: Right. I mean, wow. it was
11: it, you just couldn't run off the town and get some lumber. Right, right. You could have, but. Right. Yeah, right, right.
4: Exactly you used the, the same
8: nails. You straightened them up. No the kidding.
0: Yep. Wow, right. you were the original recyclers. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's no, a good quite idea. seriously.
2: You were. In the 1930s, I lived south of Regina and uh, many families would leave the community with the horses and a cow and head for northern Saskatchewan. That was very, very common. They just left everything. They just left everything
0: and up and went. It was yeah. no longer a money-making prospect.
2: My dad was a station agent. We were lucky enough to be able to live in the station, and uh, I could remember the carloads of dried cod coming in from and apples from Ontario for the community, and the farmers would all come in with their wagons and load up.
0: Those must have been pretty small quarters living in the station.
2: Oh, they were big at that time. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it was hard to heat them. My dad would be up every three or four hours, and we had a stove in every room.
0: (laughs) But, yeah, it's different. What's the best part of growing up on a farm? What... You know, you talk so much about the hardship. What would you, what would you not trade for the world?
11: The independence.
0: The independence.
11: Well, it, it made you independent, right? Because, you worked for yourself. You, you, you had to you had to improvise, right? It depended yeah. on your neighbors a lot, though, too. In those yeah. days. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, well, everybody's looked out for. Everybody.
0: Yeah. Did you guys have a bartering system when times are tough? Would you be bartering um, food and goods between each other as uh, for services?
5: Parents always uh, sold cream, and sold eggs, and sold butter. And they sold the eggs and the butter to the storekeeper. Right. Well. I guess that would be bartering and take
9: yeah. it for groceries.
5: Sure.
3: Right. used to trade grain for groceries.
0: Grain for groceries.
3: And appliances.
0: Right. And, and you do that when there's just no cash to... Again,
3: piles of grain on the ground. So right.
0: Two, lots
1: yeah. of people in this country here grain for uh, vehicles. Cars, trucks, tractors, whatever. Grain.
0: grain for vehicles. You guys probably grew up... Drinking unpasteurized milk.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, from
11: <the> separate <laughs> separate.
1: right from the top.
2: <laughs> <President>. <laughs> there again the railway comes in where all the cream and eggs and uh, everything went out by train too. Everybody bring their five gallons of cream in and ship it on the train. daily. Right. We have truckloads of eggs.
7: Right. Get I've lived more than half my life without pasteurized milk. And you're still alive. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, I think like I am <laughs> we've talked a lot here about the tough times in yes. the thirties and that. uh my uncle and his cousin were the first ones to come to this country in 1906. six. Uh-huh. And uh they filed on land in Regina and left and kept reading stakes and reading stakes, came to a river that they didn't know they had to cross, they had to cross that and come out uh, about um uh thirty miles southwest of here. Right. And absolutely nobody, nobody, they had no, and they tented there for a couple of days and then took off for Battleford, which was uh, 150 miles away and traded the team and Democrat that they had bought in Manitoba for three oxen, a wagon, a plow and a harrow and a bit of grub. And then there were three weeks getting back to the homestead. Uh, when you stop and think of the trials and tribulations that they had, and uh, I could go on, on yeah. for an hour for this, so I won't.
0: No, no, but yet it's um. interesting because people wouldn't have traded it for the world. Well, this would tell you. Was there times when you just had nothing to eat? I mean, you you didn't get that bad, huh? Well, not on the farm. No. Right. You were uh, always. My, wa-
6: my wife was raised in a, in Bigger during the 30s, 37, right. and her, her dad was hurt that. That fall, he was a uh, foreman of the salt mine, Miss North, and they had no income all winter. Uh, she was a depression child, and it never left her. Mm-hmm. But no, on the farm, we had lots to eat. We had our own gardens. We had our milk, our meat, our eggs.
0: Anything anybody else want to add to life growing up in, in Kindersley, an area? Where's the furthest any of you have traveled away from here? Even just for vacation?
4: Hawaii. Hawaii? New York.
0: Hawaii, New York?
4: South America, Arctic.
6: Many, many places around the world. But you'd
0: never trade living here for anything? You always come back here? Oh, definitely. Well, I don't
7: know way. why people got to tour the world. There's so much right here so that much they right haven't here. seen
6: yet. They right. never
7: stayed home long enough to see it.
6: Right. Got I've been to coast
7: future to future coast, future? but and into the states. And that's as far as I got. But right, right.
0: You're all going off to have donuts.
7: I don't know how many local people here don't know about that stone wall out
0: there at Smiley. I'm going to hear about this. I'm going to see this stone wall. Huh? I'm going to be one of the people that see it. Yeah. So I'll be one of the lucky ones.
7: One man built that. Anyway.
11: anyway uh, I really appreciate you guys
0: coming out with- Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created by Kevin Power as part of the Culture Days Animateur program operated by Sas Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lottery's Trust Fund for Sports, Culture, and Recreation. If you want to hear more of these podcasts or to see the great work being done by other Sas Culture animateurs, please visit dot iheartculture.ca. Special thanks to Paved Arts in Saskatoon for their technical support. Sascapes podcasts are also available through the iTunes store. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There is no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time...